Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Geek Roulette Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Spreigel. And I'm the other host, John Lundquist. Hi, John. How you doing? I'm doing pretty I'm doing well pretty so far. far. Things are well. The, weather, the weather's been nice. It's it's happy times. Nothing crazy's happened this last month. I think July was, I mean, aside from like the regular craziness, I don't think anything new got introduced that I can think of. Yeah, isn't it weird when you have to like redefine what the new normal is? Yeah, especially when it's like on a monthly and sometimes weekly basis. Right. Well, this episode of the Geek Roulette podcast, we are doing our second installment of John finally watches a movie that he hasn't seen before, the second edition. Yes. In this case, two of them. Yes. Although last time it wasn't well. Yes. The two uh, movies that I had John watch that he has never seen before and he just watched them freshly this past weekend was the Martin Scorsese classics Goodfellas and Casino. Yes, it was a long night of gangsters and people getting killed. I uh, I like those movies. They're good. They were they were good. We 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 will get into it though in a bit. We will get into it in a bit. First, let's uh do some housekeeping here. We have Facebook, Twitter, as well as our own main website itself. Feel free to go ahead, drop comments, ratings, reviews, all of that nice happy stuff. Um, we're gonna shift into recommendations. John, do you want to go first? Sure, why not? Do you like peanut butter, sir? Uh, yes, especially of the creamy variety. You son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. Well, then you might not like this recommendation because the ones I've gotten from this place so far have all been chunky, which I was not aware of when I ordered it, but was pleasantly surprised. Uh, this is from a company called Fix and Fog. You can find them on the internet. Just do a search for Fix and Fog. Fog is with two Gs, although you know I'm sure if you were typing in with one G, you would probably still find it because Google is smart like that. Um... They have an assortment of, I don't know what you call, hit calmers and peanut butter flavors, but that's kind of what they are. I got a few different ones. I got the I got the regular one, which is just straight up chunky peanut butter. I got the, they have a spicy one, which they call, I think, like smoke and fire or something like that. That one's that I have not tried yet. They have a dark chocolate one, and I got a, it was maple and coffee flavored. Um, and they're all pretty good. Um, you do need to give them a little bit of a stir, but they don't get that nasty oil on top. It's more just to kind of give it an initial stir when you first get it. So, um, but otherwise, they're they're pretty tasty. They're affordable, and they're they've got a nice flavor to them. I think the dark chocolate one. You you're kind of going to get the think that thinking that looking at it, it's kind of like a oh, what's that hazelnut crap? Nutella, because it does kind of have a Nutella look to it, but it doesn't taste like it. it's got a nice dark chocolate flavor to it. The Maple and coffee one is nice, subtle. You know, you still get the peanut butter through, but it also has nice hints of the maple and the coffee in there. So they're just nice little change-ups in your peanut butter lifestyle. If you're a peanut butter fan like I am, you know, of, of the crunchy variety and not that creamy crap that some people enjoy that shall, you know, remain unnameless. If uh, if I wanted nuts in my peanut butter, I'd travel back to the late 70s, early 80s and have John Holmes dip his sack into it. Wow. Well played, sir. Well played. I uh, No room for nuts in my peanut butter. Well, you know, we can't, we can't all be right. No, that's why, that's why I need you, man. I need to be wrong on this podcast. God damn you. Damn Hi. you. Well, hey, the day's young. All right. Uh, my recommendation, it's going to be, it's a guilty pleasure recommendation. All right. So there's a show that's on TV and I've been watching it on Hulu. And I have to. I am. Uh, I'm amused by it. So, John Arthur. Remember, what Arthur? That no, not Arthur. <laughs> no. Remember growing up, John, watching the show American Gladiators. I was actually just thinking about that earlier today for some reason. I don't know why, but yes, I do. It was great because you saw like these everyday schmoes just getting just blasted by like the gladiators, you know, that just let's be very clear here. We're all on steroids. There was no way any of those American gladiators weren't on steroids. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The men, the women, just, yeah, the whole the whole lot of them. Right. So there's a show that's out right now, and it's called Ultimate Tag. And it's hosted by football player J.J. Watt, and then he has... 
I guess it's two hanger on brothers who just aren't JJ Watt and they're just there because, Hey, you probably asked them, you guys want to be like, be on a show and help host it. And they're like, sure, we got nothing's going on, but essentially it's a show where it's just like an hour game show where it's tag. There's variations of the game itself. And the show has like over probably like, I don't know, almost like 20 different characters that are almost American Gladiator-esque in terms they have like these weird personas and things. And they're all specialists in different things. Like you have multiple people on the show that are parkour experts, some free runners, some acrobats, some like, you know, it's, it's just weird. And then you watch these people just basically playing tag. And then you think, oh man, this seems like the entertainment for the lowest common denominator. It probably is, but in this world and landscape, it's actually kind of just entertaining, just watching, like, especially like the people that do parkour. I've always had like a great affinity for people who are just flipping and jumping over things, but it's available to watch on Hulu. It's also new episodes each week on uh, uh, Fox as well. Uh, Ultimate Tag, give that a weird shot. I will say once in a while, it's good to have a show where you can just shut your brain off for a while. I have to think about a whole lot and just watch some people get pummeled or or whatever the hell it might be. Just, you know, you don't always need to be thinking about what you're watching. Just enjoy some mindless crap sometimes. That's that's kind of what it is. Like, And it's something I watch with the kids, and the kids are like, you know, oh, hey, you know, what doesn't you do this or what doesn't you do that? And I would say the number one thing that does most people in on the show is when people just stop running. Like, they try hiding behind an obstacle. I'll give you a tip. 90% of the time, they are boned. <laughs> Good to know. Uh-huh. All right, so let's move on to our arbitrary list. The list that I have for this week is top three best cast roles for sci-fi, fantasy, superhero, or action movies. So the three roles that were cast so well that they nailed it that these characters have become almost iconic in itself. So put some thought into it. I got three. You got three. Uh, How about I go first? Sure. Go right ahead, sir. All right. So sitting in my number three spot, I think this is this casting is one of the reasons why it's been so difficult to try to have another person play this character. And he is not the first person to play this character. But my first choice is going to be Christopher Reeves as Superman. I feel it's iconic just his portrayal. He does such an amazing job of not only just having that just wholesome, you know, upstanding moral goodness of Superman. But his ability to play the meekness and just awkwardness of Clark Kent is just dead on perfect. And as I said, he's not the first guy. There was a few different serials and shows that happened in the 50s and earlier on. But, you know, no offense to Brandon Ruth or uh, Henry Cavill. It just both of them just weren't able to capture, I think, just what uh, Christopher Reeve was able to bring to the table as Superman. And I think that's why when I think of Superman, it, it's such an easy slam dunk with him. So. Yeah, yeah, I would have to agree. Christopher Reeves is also on my list. I mean, he's one of those that anytime you hear a Superman casting, it's it's always going to be like, well, are they going to be as good as Christopher Reeves? The answer is usually no, you know, but sometimes there'll be a quality like no, but, you know, they don't do too bad. Like, I don't think like you said, I don't think Brandon Roth did a horrible job. I think if he had a decent movie, he actually probably could have been a decent Superman. Henry Cavill, I think the same thing. I think he's a decent Superman and just had bad movies to be in those directed poorly. Um but neither one of them, I don't think, could hold a candle to Christopher Reeve. I mean, he's, you know, the first real iconic superhero you think of. I mean, I think, I mean, you could go back all the way, I suppose, to Burt, not Burt Ward, what the hell am I thinking? Adam West as Batman. Kind of predates that a bit, but I think the first really hugely popular one was, you know, Christopher Reeves as Superman. There's, you know, no denying that for him. So he was yeah, on my I, list as well. I think it just, he, bolt, you know, just encaptures the character perfectly in terms of his portrayal. Like what you were just saying about Adam West. <laughs> He played Batman, but he's not, I think, the Batman that if you were to be a reader of the comics that you would sit there and say, yeah, you know what? Instead, it was more like almost uh, just a cartoonish parody of Batman that he played. And then that became kind of the status quo until Tim Burton turned it around back in 89. So, yes, very much so. All right. Why don't you? uh, So we both knocked out our threes. Why don't you go ahead with your number two? Uh, Mine weren't necessarily in any specific order. My next one I'm going to go with is Harrison Ford as Han Solo. Um, Just because I don't know that Star Wars and that whole franchise, I think if you get some other schmuck in that role, 
it's going to affect those movies quite a bit. Yeah, you're going to have kind of the same feel, but I think Harrison Ford and Han Solo brought such, you know, his personality and what he brought to that character just brought so much to those movies that it kind of helped elevate them. I mean, you could argue that the one that is most people's favorite and arguably the best out of the series, Empire Strikes Back, is, you know, kind of a Han Solo movie. I mean, he's definitely got a lot more to do in that one than he did in A New Hope, and I think just, you know, Harrison Ford, just he is Han Solo. I think that's it's that's almost the better he's the character he's kind of one of those casting choices where he didn't really have to do a whole lot to play the character just it's the way he is so i had harrison ford at number four and it was hard because i couldn't figure out what number four to have him as have him as either han solo or have him as indiana jones because i feel that he i mean his stretch of time between uh 77 and 83 were just hands down perfect i mean his portrayal of those two characters great i i think i went with christopher reeve just only over him just because christopher reeve was almost kind of there first in the sense and as i said it's been hard to recast that and i think part of it too is because the fact that christopher reeve was the star of his own movie versus where harrison ford indie he was star wars he wasn't i will look at empire as being a more of a han solo movie i feel the luke story is like almost like the a story in the beginning but then the b story in the middle until it circles around to the end itself so yeah agreed so who do you got next uh my uh my number two is that uh you wouldn't have a marvel universe unless this movie landed and this movie landed because the fact that you had a character that was able to pull off just the rich smarmy attitude of uh, Tony Stark. And that's Robert Downer Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Uh, again, I think that was probably just such dead perfect casting right there that his character would become so prevalent throughout the entire Marvel series in terms of just, you know, a new unique character. Like he became that character it's almost funny because you think about it too. It's like almost like a second or third career for Robert Downey Jr. When you consider he's had so many movies or roles or things he's done before that. But if anything that he's going to be known for, it doesn't matter what he did before he's going to be known always as Tony Stark. So I got a uh, Robert Downey Jr. As Tony Stark. Yes. And because our lists are so similar, he's also on my list. My third one I've got on my list, but I mean, like you said, I don't think we'd have the Marvel Cinematic Universe if that first Iron Man movie didn't take off as well as it did. And it wouldn't have taken off nearly as well as it did without him there. I think, you know, if it had been somebody else in there, we'd be like, yeah, remember that one time when they made that Iron Man movie a while back? That sure was weird. But because he brought what he did to it, it was, you know, much like I said with Harrison Ford and Han Solo, like, it, you know, he is, you know, Tony Stark and Iron Man. Like, there's almost no separating the two. That's kind of the role. If anybody else ever plays him in the future, they're going to be measured up to, and even like, you know, Robert Downey Jr. himself is kind of going to be measured up to that role. You know, when he takes other roles, like, you know, is this going to be as good as when he plays Tony Stark? And, you know, we'll see, I suppose. So it's interesting. Our lists were almost identical, except for what my number one is. Who do you got? Who do you, let's just see if you can guess. Who do you think my number one is? Um... I got nothing. It's probably, let's see, he was through action. There's probably somebody from an action movie I'm going to go with, but I'm not sure who. Because for me, action, action, like the reason I didn't have any action actors in mind are because I kind of feel like a lot of them are fairly interchangeable. I think Indiana Jones kind of falls into like as an example of like that action. And you can almost, let's say, uh, John McClane, if you were to sit there and say like Bruce Willis. So I think there are iconic Bruce, you know, action ones. John Wick is a more recent example, but. No, that's not who I took. Uh, what I took is I took a guy who's been playing the same character for over almost 20 years at this point. And I don't know, once again, this is the same situation as Christopher Reeve and Robert Downey Jr. I can't imagine anybody else playing this role. And I'm curious to see how it's going to be handled in the future. I'm talking about Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Yeah, that's a good call. I mean, he, he once again, here is a guy... If we're looking at like the the superhero genre in general, I mean it it was you know hit its peak you know on the early '80s where you had Christopher Reeve, but then from there it kind of took a weird shift. No other superhero movie really kind of predominated during that period of time. Even during the '90s, it wasn't until the X Men movie came out. Then once again, you took a guy like uh, Hugh Jackman, unknown guy at this point. 
and you put him in that role, and now it's impossible to think of anybody else besides Hugh Jackman who is, could ever pull off that role itself. I mean, he's the only guy that's ever portrayed Wolverine right now in a live action, you know, movie over the past twenty years, and you know his character had a complete arc too. You know, going from all the x-men movies to his standalone movies to you know his final movie in logan you know i mean it's just been a interesting ride with him and once again just iconic when you see that you know when i think about that i mean even when you look in the x-men universe and you think about how many other characters in the x-men movies they've recast he's the only constant that they've had because they realize i don't think there's any way you can recast him yeah that's a good call that's hard to argue i mean whenever they do reboot the X-Men movies down the line and you know, they will, you know, it's, it's going to be one of those who's playing Wolverine and you know, are they going to live up to Hugh Jackman? The answer is probably going to be no, but hopefully they can kind of carve their own niche and do pretty well for themselves. Correct. All right, let's move on to our main topic. So John, we've been trying to get him to catch up on various movies that are just classic movies that, most people at this point have watched at some point in their life, especially at the ages that we're at right now, but yet he hasn't. So to help, yes, and to get John caught up, we had him watch uh, Goodfellas Casino. It's uh, really a tale of two movies. Uh, Goodfellas was a movie that came out in 1990. Casino came out in 95. Um, Goodfellas, I would say this about that and. I didn't watch it when it originally came out. I didn't actually watch Goodfellas until actually I watched Casino first. I saw Casino first, and then after I liked Casino, uh, then I saw Goodfellas. And I sort of saw just the parallels and similarities between the two movies itself. But these uh, these two movies are definitely movies that a lot of people say started and helped cemented uh, Scorsese's reputation for mob and mafia-based movies itself. I want to say that obviously there's the similarities with some of the casting that you have in the movies as well. Even the soundtracks, there's a lot of similarities in the soundtracks that you would notice in these movies that would be prevalent in other mob movies that Scorsese would make later down the line, such as um, uh, The Departed or The Irishman. But the, these are movies that helped, I think, put them on there on, you know, on the map. And I think overall starting, we'll go chronologically at this point. We'll talk Goodfellas first. Um, I feel that with Goodfellas, this was a movie. No, De Niro, he was definitely a very well-known name. I think before Goodfellas came out, you're talking a great resume starting out with like taxi driver and going well through the eighties itself, raging bull, which he worked with Scorsese with before Pesci also working on raging bull as well. But up until that point, you know, I think those were what you considered a good actor. And I feel that when you got to Goodfellas, that's when you took these guys and you took De Niro and Scorsese and you were able to bump them from the good to great level, I think, as well as it's the movie that launched both Pesci and Leota as well. Pesci was in uh, Raging Bull, but didn't really do much during the 80s. Leota had only really one other major role, which was the year before that, where he did Field of Dreams as uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson. But I feel that's the movie that pretty much took these two and helped have just boost their career tenfold, especially with Pesci. Um, you know, how do you, how do you view, I think, you know, Goodfellows in from that sense? I mean, as far, like you said, you can't deny the acting pedigree. I mean, I think this kind of cemented De Niro as like just being a classic go-to actor for anybody. I mean, like you said, he had his, you know, his pedigree from the eighties, but I think they, he had, you know, I hesitate to say a dry spell, but you know, he certainly hadn't been in anything super iconic in a bit. And I think came in and did this. And then, you know, later on casino and kind of just cemented him as like, yeah, no, this is, this is a guy you can kind of count on. Um, and everybody does a great job. I think in both these movies, particularly in Goodfellas, you know, the acting is just spot on. You can't really fault anybody for the job they do. You know, Leota, Pesci, De Niro, um, and everybody else in it whose names I forget. But um, it's it's just a really well-acted movie. That's one thing you can't take away from it at all. Now, to for those of you that haven't seen Goodfellas, basically it's based on the book Wise Guy, which is an overall account of just, you know, the story of Henry Hill and how Henry Hill uh, was his growing, coming up as a gangster, working with the mob, you know, various mobs until his eventual incarceration. So it's based on real life events with obviously some things traumatized over the course itself. It starts about, you know, from his 
a young ascension from being just a child and then, you know, being just sort of growing up with the mob itself. And then kind of just the true tale itself is that, you know, is greed is always one of the biggest things that will always tear things apart as well as excess. And I think that's one of, I think the bigger points of how the movie is, especially when you get closer to the end of the movie itself. Uh, John, you just watched it. What's your thoughts on these, on this movie? I will say like, I was not aware that this was, you know, going to be focused on Ray Liotta's character. I kind of, you know, I knew it was a gangster movie. I knew it was kind of in that setting, obviously, but aside from that, I had basically no idea what, the plot was so i wouldn't say i was like surprised to see it it was just kind of like an interesting thing that you know once it kind of got started and a little bit in you can kind of tell what the you know the trajectory was going to take plus the narration kind of you know predicted that this is kind of him talking you know about the past and i was like well this is probably him in like some you know like testifying or something so i could kind of see that coming you know at the at the end of the movie where it shows up um and I think it was an interesting way to play it, you know, because you do kind of see the, you know, this one character's growth. You know, he starts out, I think he's like 15 years old. He goes out and hangs out at this place across the street and kind of ingratiates himself into these, you know, these, you know, wise guys, these, I forget what the term he uses for him at the time as these, you know, guys across the street that are in this gang. He just kind of he admired them and started hanging out with them and doing little jobs for them and worked his way up. And like you said, gets, you know, to where he kind of is you know he just get his greed overtakes him he wants you know just money and he just wants you know not necessarily power so much right I didn't get that he was after he just wanted money and just didn't want he wanted the status i think almost more than the power you know he wanted to be with these people that were important and you know that was what was important to him i think it's a story of parallels i I, you're right i don't think it was ever about power for you know henry hill for henry it was always more about you know just being as an example, just living to excesses, I think is probably the best way he wanted the good lifestyle. He got the good lifestyle, but then just got in over his head. Uh, I think the parallel is then of course, with De Niro's character, uh, Jimmy Conway with Jimmy, it is about the money. It is almost about the power, but the fact that he could never be truly made. And that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, just like his whole growth and his just paranoia about maintaining control where it's like, Hey, you know, I not wanting any loose ends, as you see uh, throughout the course of the movie itself, is that if you ever had to sense or feel that something wasn't going his way, you know, God forbid that you were associated with him because you know what was going to probably happen. So, yeah, and his yeah. character seemed a lot more like, plotting and like he was more content to kind of sit back a little bit. You know, he definitely wanted the power and he wanted the money and all that stuff, but he was more you know, more willing to go the slow pay. Like he didn't need to be the man in front. Like as long as he was getting his money and he could kind of do the things he wanted to do, he was a little bit more willing to take a backseat and just kind of go along. But at the same time, when needed to, we certainly could step up and take that role of, you know, taking charge. And like you said, just not a guy you wanted to cross, you know, like after they do that big heist and the one guy shows up in a new car and he's like, you know, what, what the hell, what did I tell you, man? Don't, don't spend any of this money. Okay, it's in my mom's name, and he just goes off, and then the next guy comes in. His wife's got a fur coat on. He tells him the same thing. You can just tell it's not going to end well for them. And sure enough, at some point it doesn't. But uh, but yeah, his character is really interesting. I thought to see in this movie. And then of course you have the breakout character, I think, which is you know Joe Pesci as Tommy, where you know Pesci just I think owns almost every scene that he's in at this point. He does such an amazing job of just showing presence and his every you know thing he does and i think that's what helped i mean when goodfellows i think boosted him because after that point you saw him being cast in just all of these movies like the one thing that i think why i'd like about goodfellows is this is that he was in one movie the year before and if not for goodfellows i have a feeling that people would have just typecast him in this character do you know what movie came out uh before goodfellows in 1989 that he had a big debut in was that my cousin Vinny or did that come later? My cousin Vinny was after, and that was more of a result of Goodfellows, but no, it was Lethal Weapon. Remember Leo Getz? I don't. It's been so dang long since I've seen that movie. He was in Lethal Weapon 2 as Leo Getz, and that's where he kind of had that almost like car salesman kind of mentality or you know, portrayal. And it's funny because you know, when you see the like him in that, you could see how he could have been easily pigeonholed for like that type of role until you see what he does, and I think uh Goodfellows, and I think what he does in Goodfellows 
definitely goes, you know, a good job of showing a tremendous amount of range from right there. So that's definitely to his benefits. Same thing with uh, Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta, I, I feel that the one thing I love about Ray Liotta in this movie is that he always seems like he's genuinely almost insane in some ways in just barely holding it together. Yeah, he definitely gets that across. Like he's just almost on the edge, like just ready to just snap at any moment. Like that scene in the bar when it's, you know, the, the classic scene with him and Joe Pesci going back and forth about the, you know, what, you think I'm funny? I'm a clown. I'm here to music. And then he starts, you know, when Ray Liotta starts laughing, you know, it's just this super exaggerated thing. And you kind of see that a few times throughout the movie where he just, you know, he, he's almost, like you said, he's almost ready to snap at any moment. Well, and it's especially great when you get near the end of the movie and you just see a sheer paranoia with a whole like day of where he finally gets, you know, arrested and captured and the whole helicopter scene itself. You just see just this completely, this guy just becoming so almost unhinged and unwound. And it's just such a masterful performance on his part from right there. Yeah, that whole bit where he's like driving around the town trying to run and he's just the way he's talking about like his day. And he's like, and this time, you know, when I had to tell my brother to, you know, just keep stirring the sauce and this, and then and he's looking up at the, the, the helicopter and he's just, it's just almost this frantic way of, you know, the way it's directed and the way he acts it out and just the way it's written everything. It just works perfectly. You, you just get that paranoia and just as, you know, the verge of insanity, like you said, comes through really well in that part. You see, he's just juggling so much. He's juggling like his own family. He's juggling his brother. He's drug, drug you know, juggling a uh, drug deal. He's juggling like a mistress. He's juggling like a gun sale. He has all these things going on because he's so loaded up on coke. He doesn't realize just how messed up his whole situation is. One of my favorite things that also stems from this, and you can still find it on there, go on to Twitter because there's, I think, a Twitter account called like the day of May 25th, which basically is like, what if Henry was like tweeting the whole day <laughs> and <laughs> how that turned out? So, nice. but yeah, I, I, I think Ray Liotta definitely did an amazing job on there. What do, what do you think makes this movie good? I think just, I don't know, it's hard to say. It's, I think just the overall atmosphere, like you just kind of get this feeling like you're along for the ride. Like you're, you're, you're really kind of observing this guy's kind of trajectory and his, his path through life. And, you know, at the same time, you're kind of watching him. You can kind of see a few parts where you're like, Oh dude, no, no. I mean, you're kind of rooting for him, but at the same time, you know, since he's a, he is a gangster, he's, you know, not a nice person. I mean, he's certainly not the worst of them, you know I mean? But, you know, certainly not somebody you'd necessarily normally be rooting for, but I think just, being able to see him kind of start out as a younger kid and work his way up, you kind of watch his, his life basically. And I think just the way it's directed and acted and everything, you're kind of taken along and it's not, you don't feel like an outsider. I think it, it does a good job of making you feel like you're kind of sitting at the table there with him in the bar and that you're calling for the ride with all this that's going on. I think that's one thing a lot of critics and a lot of people have said is that the one thing that they have always liked about both Goodfellas and Casino is that you're what you, they, they're what you almost consider insider movies, where they're movies that give you a window inside behind the scenes of kind of how everything ran and went and gives you almost like a, you know, like almost like a tour of what the world of the mob looks like in some ways. And I think it's that kind of accessibility and how Scorsese portrays the, those two movies that do such a great job of just you know, bringing you as the viewer along for the journey and saying, hey, here's all these characters, here's all these things, but guess what? And I think the best part about, like, what I like about some of Scorsese's mob movies is as good as he is writing the characters, he's just as good as writing the flaws of the characters, and every character has these flaws from, like, the main characters to the secondary characters. It's one of those things that as an outsider, you realize, oh, man, this guy doing these types of things right here, this is going to screw him in the end. And sure enough, they usually do. And it's just getting a good understanding there. I think one thing that the movie does, you know, such a great job with is just some of the casting it has in there. I mean, obviously you have the main casting with, you know, De Niro, Leota and Pesci, but, you know, Lorraine Bracco, you know, as Karen, she would go on to be as a uh, professor or, or the psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Meldy in The Sopranos. Uh, you got Paul Servino in there. You have Frank Vincent and B as Billy Matz would also go on to be in The Sopranos. You have like young, like another Sopranos person that will also be in the movie as well as Michael Imperioli as Spider, who would go on to be Christopher Maltesanti in The Sopranos. Even like Samuel L. Jackson in the movie as well. You know, I mean, you had 
a very rich cast of just individuals and people who would go on to do other things. So even like, you know, the supporting cast, I feel was just, you know, cast such perfectly. Like even like um, Chuck Lowe is Maury, the wig salesman, as an example, it's a secondary bit part, but it's cast so perfectly. Cause I think deep down, we all know a guy like that, that just, you know, he's impatient and just wants what's coming to him and everything, but doesn't have the tact to know how to get it across. Yeah. Just like almost like a parasite, you know? And I think it's, yeah, like I'll, <clears throat> excuse me, all that secondary cast, I think is right. Like I almost had to take a second look because like, like you said, Samuel L. Jackson in there, but like, he's only in like two, maybe three scenes and you barely get a look at his face. Like he's not in a lot, but he's oh. just, the, just the fact that they could cast somebody like that. And he, you know, he does good with what he's got, but I think, yeah, like you said, all those just, you know, the secondary, third or tertiary characters that are all there, you know, really help bring it to life as opposed to just having some, you know, somebody who doesn't do as good a job isn't going to suck you in as much. I think another thing that Goodfellows and I think Scorsese does well in a lot of his movies is once again, the soundtrack. I feel he does a good job of pairing up the songs to the moments and just helping use the song to help enrich the moment itself. You can tell that there's definitely, especially if you watch many of Scorsese's movies, there's certain songs that Scorsese just can't help but put into certain movies. But, you know, he does it. He does it well for the most part. So, you know, I, I what else? Is there anything else you think that, you know, needs to be called out in the movie in terms of why the movie works so well? No, I think we pretty much hit everything. I mean, it, it's a good, solid movie. I mean, you know, definitely worth the hype. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's worth watching. Um you know, for being a, what, 30-year-old movie, it's not really dated at all, and that might just be because it is kind of a period piece that kind of takes you through the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, Time yeah, pieces I mean, always do that very well. Is when you have a movie that's set on something historical like that, you know, unless... The, the, I'll touch on something else in a second. Why don't you finish what you're going to say? But no, just a good, solid movie. Like I said, you know, I mean, it's one of those movies that you always hear about, you know, and up until a couple of days ago, I hadn't seen it. So, I mean, it's that it can live up to that kind of hype definitely says something for it. And I think the one thing that I think the reason why Goodfellas is usually held as the standards, one of the, you know, top best mafia mob movies out there with the course, exception to the Godfather movies, which you have not seen yet. Nope. That'll be coming up at some point. I'm sure it almost was a slash one, but I, it's like, you just need several hours for that, but we'll go back to that later on in a future episode. But you know, when you look at what other movies were out as like mafia movies at that time or gangster movies, like one movie like people hold in high regard, and I just hate the movie is like Scarface. I feel that Scarface is just one of those movies that, you know, as I said, it's it's technically almost like a period piece movie in some ways, but once again, you know, I feel that that dates horribly compared to when you watch a movie like Goodfellas. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen Scarface, but it's been a long time and not a lot. And I feel like that's one that, to me, it's almost like it's trying too hard. You know, like it just it tries too hard with him just being so over the top and just crazy. You know, just the way he is. But yeah, I, I don't feel that one holds up quite as well as this. So one thing that was always a thing of I don't know, it became more of a growing controversy as I think years went on. Is that uh, eventually uh, Scorsese would go on to win a. Uh, academy award if i'm correct he finally won it for the departed but a lot of people call that a legacy award because a lot of people thought that he should have won it for goodfellows so let's ask this particular question there's there was basically three main nominations that came out of goodfellows itself one person did win joe pesci did win for best supporting actor back in the 1991 academy awards uh goodfellows lost for both best picture and best director now let me ask this for best picture this, these were the categories, the other nominees. One was Ghost. Yeah. Uh, then you have the movie Awakenings. You have The Godfather Part 3, which is absurd because that is such a horrible movie. By the way, when you do watch The Godfathers, just stop it too. <laughs> and, and then what would be the eventual winner, Dances with Wolves. Now, do you feel a good fellow should have won the best picture from that from that group right there? Probably. I mean, that's I don't think that Dances with Wolves is a bad movie, but I think it's a different kind of movie. And I feel like I feel like Goodfellas has more going for it good than than Dance with Wolves does. I feel like, you know, there's there's more holes you can probably poke in Dance with Wolves. And granted, I haven't seen that in quite a long while. Um 
but I do feel like, like, you know, you don't really hear anybody talking about Dance with Wolves anymore. People are still talking about Godfathers and referencing it. Or I'm not Godfather, good fella. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of in hindsight, one of those, like, yeah, maybe not the best choice. You know, kind of like the 94 when Forrest Gump won it over Pulp Fiction. And what was the other one that year? There were two of them that most people most people felt should have won it over, over Forrest Gump. But, you know, it's Hollywood. What are you going to do? Well, and... I would say this. I feel that it's easy now to sit there and say that, yes, Goodfellas should have won back then. I think the reason it almost didn't is for a particular reason. And the reason why is I think back around that period of time, that's when the type of movies that were winning Academy Awards, if you had a movie that was almost based on some sort of exotic land or a period piece that was almost like a surefire way to win. Cause looking up the winners that, you know, one leading up to that 85, you had out of Africa, 86, you had platoon. You had the last emperor in 87 rain man, won in 88 driving miss Daisy, 89, then dances with wolves. It really wasn't broken until you had silence of the lambs that I think they kind of shocked the Academy out of this weird thing where, if you, you had certain movies that would come out and, you know, people became enamored, like back in 89, Driving Miss Davies, Daisy won. But that year also had Born on the Fourth of July, My Left Foot, Field of Dreams. I think a lot of those could have. But, I mean, I think there was a weird thing where if you had, like, weird period pieces back in that time, those were the movies that were really much more celebrated. And I don't think a movie like The Goodfellas was something that's honestly people really saw coming at that point. So I think it was something that years later, it became easier to appreciate because people then started realizing how much of a difference that made towards movies going forward. And to help explain moving forward, here's like the directors for, uh, you know, 91. And this, these are the people that beat Scorsese. So you had, um, Barbe Schrader for Reversal of Fortune, Stefan Frears for The Grifters, Francis Ford Coppola for Godfather Part 3, and then you have Dances with Wolves with Kevin Costner. So once again, yeah. should, should have Scorsese won that year? Probably. But you know, I haven't even heard of most of those films, so, you know, but who knows. I mean, all that being said, though, I don't necessarily think, you know, not winning clearly didn't hurt the movie. I mean, it still looked at as, you know, a, a classic of film and you know scorsese is still seen as a legendary director you know so i mean i don't think which almost points more to the oscars like what do the oscars really matter if movies like you know goodfellas and pulp fiction and that you know are more revered for just being great movies than for winning oscars and i think one thing that turned off the academy in the early 90s which kind of kept them away from giving the final award i think it's violence i think that's the one thing that they were always really touchy on was awarding movies for violence which was a lot of violence in the movie itself so but yeah i i feel that goodfellas is a very solid movie altogether so let's uh let's talk up the next movie then we have right here so five years later Scorsese decides to make another movie and he decides to make the movie called Casino, which once again is based on the real life actions of a uh, 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 handicapper who would go on to run multiple casinos. They changed a lot of the names and character names, you know, for, you know, just to fictionalize some of the aspects of it itself. But once again, a lot of it's based on some of the true materials that, you know, came out of there itself uh, about how the mob controlled the majority of Vegas for a while until eventually greed is once again that common thing that usually you know comes and takes over the main uh, protagonist in the movie is played by de niro who's eighth rostein and he does he's basically like a bet handicapper where he's always great winning with bets and picking winners and eventually it impresses the mob bosses enough where they go ahead and they um you know, decide to put them in charge or put them in a position of authority in the casinos to help them make much more money. And then the other primary character you have in there is Nikki Santoro, who is played by uh, Joe Pesci, who's kind of more of the enforcer type, but also one of those guys that's also trying to make his own money and make his own racket for the most part. And where one, the, I think the best way to put casinos is casinos, a story I think where Ace is trying to basically he's trying to win the best way he knows how, but he's not necessarily breaking the rules. He's winning with the rules and knows how to make the rules work for him. 
Whereas the problem is you have, of course, Nicky Santoro who causes the problems because he does not have the subtlety and doesn't get how his actions cause ripple effects and make it more difficult for everyone else. Yeah, no, I definitely felt like a, you know, he, Ace, you know, De Niro's character kind of almost had more of a desire to like work within the rules, if that makes a certain sort of sense. Like he kind of wanted to almost play it straight. Like, you know, like I'm going to run this casino. I'm going to run the best damn casino. I know how. Whereas Joe Pesci's character, Nikki, came in and it was just like, I don't really give a shit what the hell's going on. I'm going to do what I need to do to make money and to do what I have to, you know, what do the things that need to be done. And I don't really care about anything else. And it's, you know, that kind of that dichotomy that kind of runs through the whole movie. Exactly. And once again, it's almost like an insider's view where you have multiple narration of characters that help sort of explains everything that's happening from their perspective and their point of view itself. Um, let me ask this. And this will also feed into what your thoughts in the movie is. So do you feel that this is Goodfellas 2.0 or is it its own thing? I say it's, it's kind of its own thing. I will say that Joe Pesci's character, Nikki is almost just feels like a rehashed version of Tommy from Goodfellas is kind of the only thing I feel is would kind of draw that parallel for me. Um, but otherwise, I don't know this for me. This movie, this one lacked a little bit of something. I'm not sure what it was. The plot was a little bit harder to you know follow, like as far as what was going on with all the back, you know, with the behind the scenes dealings with you know those guys in Kansas that kept getting bringing all the old guys in Kansas, the mobsters that ultimately ran everything and how they were skimming off the top and what was going on. I felt like there was a lot more going on behind the scenes, and it didn't do I feel at least to me the best job of explaining what exactly was going on. I mean, you had a pretty good idea, but not super clear um you know that being said i you know this one i feel kind of made me more interested like what actually happened like what are the events that this is actually based on that you know i kind of want to go look that up and see what what happened like what were what were the things that set all this into into motion you know because this kind of correct me if i'm wrong but is this kind of like the movie that shows like how old vegas got shut you know that you know the old strip you know where all those older casinos are kind of fell from grace and then kind of at the end they would say oh, all these corporations came in where the new the new strip came in with the luxor and you know all that stuff the bellagio and all that is that kind of what this is yeah exactly it is it's like how the old guard of you know you have not only just like the original you know fremont part of vegas but also like your old heavy hitters such as like the sands and the riviera and the stardust and the character that the movie's ace is based on actually did run the stardust hotel in vegas and of you know two or three others as well so it is kind of a story about how everything fell apart because the the mob you know organization that was behind it all basically eventually was taken in you know fell apart because Again, you know, it's it's about greed. You want so much, and eventually, it's hard to run a scam like that. Sometimes in the wide open, without a few mistakes, and unfortunately, highlighting most of it. So yeah, after that, you know, that's when you started seeing the building of like you know Treasure Island. You started having much more of those themed casinos versus what you had was more of your traditional like Rat Pack era casinos that you have that were uh, further down the strip. Yeah, and like this one, I know like with. De Niro's characters, at least, we want to kind of start talking a little bit more about those. Like, I felt like he he was a little bit more easier to root for, I feel, than like Ray Liotta's character in Goodfellas. Like, he, you know, because you could kind of tell he almost wanted to do the right thing and just kind of run a good casino. You know, so as you watch him through, you know, the, he hooks up with this one, the one character we haven't mentioned yet, Sharon Stone. Um, Ginger. Ginger, yes. And she comes along, and right when she gets there, for some reason, he's just drawn to her. He ends up marrying her. But right when he, like, just before they get married, like, he almost like talks her into marrying her. Like they're sitting on a couch or something. He's like, Oh, you know, we should get married and have kids. And she's like, no, that's not really what I'm kind of into. And he's like, you know, they don't really show up, but he eventually talks her into it because the next scene is then them like at their wedding. And she's just kind of this, I don't know. How would you explain her? Like not really a grifter, but kind of a, she's a person that, you know, is self-centered and looking out for herself, but knows how to work all the angles she realizes, and I think relents to be with Ace just because she realizes what Ace is going to afford her. But there's also other aspects of her old life that she can't leave behind. I think with Ace, the key to his character is this, is that he's, a, you know, he even says in the movie itself, he's a character that can figure out all the angles. The one angle he couldn't figure out was Ginger. And, 
I think part of it is the way you, you know, the movie portrays that he tries to approach Ginger almost as if it's a transactional kind of contract thing. Like, Hey, if I give you this, this, and this, and this, we'll be married and everything is going to work out. And I think in his mind, eventually she'll come around to love me and that, you know, she'll, it's going to yeah. work out. And I think that's just, you know, I think that's, you know, the emotion versus the logical side of things is that here's a guy that's so, you know, amazingly great at being logical about things and even deals with low lives his whole life. But, you know, when it comes to the matter of the heart, sometimes once that emotion creeps in there, that creates that horrible blind spot, which is yeah. ultimately, which, you know, brought him down in some ways. Yeah. He even says a couple of times, like, he's like, you know, I'm going to save her. I'm going to make, you know, get her out of this life and, you know, like lift her up out of it. And that. He, he sticks to that like through the whole movie, like at multiple times when most normal people would be like, no, you need to just get rid of her. She's clearly not going to change, but he still keeps giving her second chance and takes her back. And when we're like, no, dude, don't. And it's just, it's just a train wreck basically. Right. What are your other uh, thoughts on the movie? Um, overall it was good. I mean, like I said, I didn't care for it as much as Goodfellas. I don't have a whole lot to say on it. Um, you know, Joe Pesci did a good job, but again, like I said, I think he almost felt like, you know, Tommy 2.0. Um, the atmosphere I feel in this one was, again, very well, like you kind of, you know, didn't quite feel like you were in the, you know, in the moment with them as much. This one you felt a little bit more like an observer, but like you were watching it, like it was very, you know, very well done. Like, you you know, you felt pulled in, but not quite to the same degree as, as in Goodfellas, I believe, but um, still very well done. I, I think with this movie, it, as I said, I saw this one before Goodfellas. So, you know, when we talk a little bit later about something, it might inform some of my decision. I think comparing this to like Goodfellas, I think it's hard because Goodfellas came first. It's always going to be hard trying to be the follow up to something like this and then having to live up to it. I think the other thing, too, that also changed, too, when Casino came out, which is why maybe it didn't get, I think, as much attention around that time is when the time of the blockbuster was starting to come out. That's when you started having like these huge mega movies that were coming out in all times of the season and studios were planning on banking on all of these giant movies. And in the process, I think that's where a movie like that, it was easier for it to get buried, you know, by a lot of these other bigger, more flashier things. It's Scorsese still understood the formula. It's just what the audience wanted was a little different. And I feel that this is a movie, I think they got a lot more appreciation as time went on more. So I think than Goodfellas. Goodfellas, I think always had a great amount of tremendous respect from a lot of viewers from the get go. I feel casino took some time for people to warm around to it and kind of realize, yeah, you know what? It is good for these reasons here in itself. No, I think that's an accurate assessment. I mean, I think, like I remember when Casino came out and just kind of be like, you know, hearing that, oh yeah, it's good, but it definitely didn't get near as much, you know, uh, praise or whatnot as as Goodfellas did. Like out of the two, that was definitely the one that kind of got left, you know, in the dust, so to speak. I think, like you said, that was definitely when Blockbuster Fever was hitting. Like I'm sure that was right around when Independence Day was out and all that stuff. And those were the movies that people cared about, and the movies like you know Casino and Goodfellas and stuff like that that were a little more quiet or a little more subdued, but still well done you know, kind of got second string. Well, I think part of it too, is even like the movies that were more independent that came out in the nineties around that time had more of a surreal aspect to it. Like as an example, year before you had Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction, once again, also, I think it's hard because when you're coming out almost a year after Pulp Fiction, which once again, kind of almost redefines kind of the crime, you know, mafia kind of genre in some different ways, it's hard to go back to what he did in Goodfellas until you realize that they can both coexist as their own thing. It's just a matter, you know, it's, it's a flavor aspect. What do you like? Do you like cherry? Do you like grape? Do you like orange? There is no wrong answer if it's based on, let's say, what your preference is. You know, other movies that came out around that time that I think were, once again, also equally good movies, but I think it just took a while for people to come around on. Like as an example, about a year later, I think uh, 12 Monkeys came out. That's a great example of a movie that was great, but I don't think people realized it was great until, let's say, years after the fact itself. And, you know, it, the 90s was just such a weird jumble when it came down to it. So what do you, uh, what do you think helped make this movie good? I think definitely the acting. I mean, everybody does a solid job. You know, Sharon Stone, De Niro, Pesci, you know, and again, just like the old one, all the secondary characters too, you know, um, Don Rickles is in here as the casino manager. 
um, you know, everybody does a great job. I think it's just, it's, I mean, that's a Scorsese movie. I mean, I haven't seen near as game as you has, but I mean, that is got the reputation he has for reason. He knows how to make movies. He knows how to do them well. And this is just another example of that. I think, you know, his use of Sharon Stone was amazing. Just when you consider at the time up until that role, she was more of a bombshell kind of like actress that was doing shocking things. I feel like casino is probably one of her first movies where she really showed a tremendous amount of range and did amazing. You know, I think De Niro or not De Niro, uh, Scorsese brought the best out of her in that. Uh, you're right. Don Rickles, I think was a great usage in there. James Wood as Lester diamond was once again, another even have other like little bit roles. I think the one thing, like I remember like in the nineties, like uh, like comedian, Kevin Pollack, you know, branching out and doing like a lot of movies. Like he was in uh, this, he was also in the usual suspects, you know? So again, you have Frank Vincent who was also in Goodfellas and went on to Sopranos. So good, good overall casting. I think that's what he always, I think Scorsese knows is like, Hey, there is, there isn't a bit part. If you're going to have a character in the movie, make sure you get the most out of the character itself. Yeah, I agree. He definitely knows how to do that. It shows. Um, I think one other thing I like about, you know, the movie itself is this, is that maybe what's the best way to put it? I feel that Casino has a better story than Goodfellas in some ways. Does it have better characters? We'll touch on that maybe in a second right here. But I feel it's there's a much more, you know, you at least see where the story of everything is kind of going in Casino. Goodfellas is good, but Goodfellas also seems more like an amalgamation of just a lot of different events and times and more snapshots of just how yeah. things went versus what well, you, you could watch, let's say, Goodfellas and not know where the end game is. I think especially Casino does a great job of that in the beginning of the movie when they show Ace in the exploding car that, hey, this is what the movie's building towards. How do we get to that point right there? And I think that's where it works, I think, better as a story versus uh, Goodfellas between the two. Yeah, and I don't think you can argue that. I think just the nature of Goodfellas being that one person's life, you know, from point A to point B, it doesn't really have one overarching story as opposed to just, you know, hey, this is this guy's life. And here's different chunks. You can almost break it down into a few different movies or something if you want to do that, you know, Make it like a TV show, episodic type thing, where it's you know, one big long story starts at point A, you know, and then ends at point B, and that's you know, it's more more what you expect out of a movie and a story, I think, than than what Goodfellas is, which I don't think is bad either on either side, but it's just the way they are. All right, so let me ask these two questions right here. So, De Niro was he better in Goodfellas or was he better in Casino? It's hard to say. I think. I mean, I would say he's better in Casino, but I think that's. Probably partially just because he's got a lot more to do in Casino. He's he's definitely good in Fellas, but I think he's a little bit more of a, you know, just since he's not the main character, doesn't have quite as much to do. So I think since he gets to flex a little bit more in, in Casino, I think that's that's where I would put it for him. Right. I, I feel you're right, because De Niro's definitely the lead in the movie itself. It makes a huge difference. How about this, though? What about Pesci? Better in Goodfellas or Casino? Again, like since since to me they just seem like the same character. Hard to say. I'd say if I had to give it one way or the other, I would have to say probably in Casino as well, just because he's a little bit again, he gets a little bit more to do. He's you know, he's still not quite as big a player as De Niro, but you get to see a little bit more of his character, you know, he just kind of see how smart he is and the the lengths he's willing to go to. Um, you know, you, I think you just get a better feel for him in Casino than you do in Goodfellas. Well, and I think part of it too, like going back to the point you made is that Goodfellows is the Henry Hill story. It's about Ray Liotta's character, but you still have two amazingly strong actors that are working side by side with you throughout the whole course of the movie itself. I think both De Niro and Pesci do a better job chewing the scenery or just enriching the world better. I mean, again, I, I feel that there's a better story arc for uh, Pesci, you know, in Casino versus what there was. I I think the one thing I always didn't like about Goodfellas is like when they introduce Tommy's character when he's just like this young guy too. All of a sudden, it skips from him being young Tommy until all of a sudden being like old Tommy versus where you saw Henry Hill come up the whole way. It would have been maybe better to have I think the parallel of the two at the time, and that might have made his death a little bit more shocking when he does get killed in uh, Goodfellas. 
I, I feel though that like some of like Pesci's lines in Casino are far superior. I mean, everybody always talks about like the you know, you know, you know, did my funny looking, you know, what what's so funny line from like a uh, from Goodfellas. I think some of the lines that I like even better in Casino, like one of my favorite lines is when they have the bank guy with them and everything. And he's asking about getting his move, you know, money back. And the guy says, you know, the money's gone. And he's like, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to beat you up and I'm going to put you in a coma. And I'm going to go to jail. Cause I don't care. Cause that's the kind of guy I am. And just about when you're coming out of the coma, I'm going to get out of prison. I'm going to come back. And I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and, you know, it was just one of those lines that, you know, I just always stuck with me. Yeah. I'm stupid. I don't care. I mean, the, the, that was just such an amazingly delivered, like, you know, line right there that I look at that right there and I feel that there's more depth, you know, for his character. Again, though, that's where it's tricky because of Casino being written more as almost like a dual-led movie between Pesci and De Niro versus where they are more secondary and Goodfellas. Yeah, I think he does, like I said, he gets he just gets more time to shine in, in Casino, like those lines. Like, for some reason, I'm drawn to the part on the when he's playing golf and that FBI plane comes down, just the way he kind of reacts to that, just for some reason amused the heck out of me. Cause they're, you know, it was, I think, what does he say? It's like a hundred bucks to whoever can hit the plane or something like that or whatever it is. I forget, but it just, he's just, yeah, I think he just does a heck of a lot better job in there, but that's probably just because he gets more to do. Or even better. Like, you know, like when, you know, they show like the effects of all the drugs and everything. Like he's kicking ginger out of his restaurant. And he's just sitting there, and you can just see the defeated, you know, per- part of him where he realizes he how much he's actually screwed up at this point. Even leading up to like you know his eventual like you know death in you know casino too. Again, it was just one of those nice little swerves that you kind of didn't really see and thought was going somewhere else. So, yes, yes, exactly. So I here's the last question then. So. You know what? What's the better movie? I, you know, Casino or Goodfellas? I think you're going to obviously land on the Goodfellas between the two. Yeah, I think I think so. I think I mean, for me, if I'm going to go back and rewatch another one, it's probably going to be Goodfellas. You know, which is kind of hard, weird to say because you know, just having talked about you know this over this with you just now, like you know, I I do feel like De Niro is the better lead character almost than than uh, Leona's character. I think Joe Pesci did a better job in in Casino than he did in. Goodfellas. So, I mean, well, I think Goodfellas is the better movie. You know, I think maybe if I went back and watched them a few times each, you know, I might end up landing on Casino kind of like you have. Yeah. For me, I think I like Casino better. I feel that, you know, both De Niro and Pesci are far superior, I think, versus what Leota was able to do in Goodfellas. My caveat is that I think the one thing I do like and appreciate better about Goodfellas, a little better than uh, Casino is that I feel that Goodfellas had many more secondary characters. I feel those characters helped definitely enrich the world a lot more. You still had good secondary characters in Casino, but like even just, you know, guys like, you know, Paulie as an example of Goodfellas, you know, yeah. or Billy Matz and all these other guys. Everybody definitely, I think there was a secondary character that didn't make some form of impression in Goodfellas. So I feel that's where De Niro, or uh, sorry, Scorsese drew the best out of everybody. But I feel like it's a much more laser line focus in Casino. So I feel like from an overall acting standpoint, Casino, I feel is stronger, but I feel that Goodfellas definitely was probably the better all-around performance from everyone involved. Yeah, I think maybe the way to put it is that I think Goodfellas has, you know, all of its quality and stuff is right up on top for you to see it, whereas I think Casino, you maybe have to watch it and appreciate it a little bit more and dig into it a bit more to, to get to all that good stuff. Yeah, I, I can definitely understand that. So there you go. There's two more movies to knock off your list there. Hooray. We should do like a poll and see what I should watch for the next one. Put it up on the site. Yeah, I mean, what? obviously the Godfather movies, and that, that would be another one, like, interesting, because, you know, the, doing Casino and uh, doing Goodfellas, I think that is the interesting one, where I know, I think the majority will say, you know, usually Goodfellas is better, just because I feel it's more iconic. But there's a lot of people I've talked to that say that Casino, they enjoy better sometimes than Goodfellas. So, and I feel it, like, as an example, if you watch the Godfather movies, once again, that becomes that, that huge debate between what's better, Godfather 1 or Godfather 2. I know a lot of people will say the second one surpasses the first one. That's one... Now, spoil it. I feel that the first Godfather is superior to the second one, but I get why some people might like the second one better. So it's it's that weird part of just, you know, overall opinion altogether. 
Yeah, I think the Godfather movies would be a good one. I think we had we had briefly discussed doing Exorcist for this one. I think that's one we need to do down the line. Although you were saying you might have to rewatch that as well. Um, you know, there's probably some westerns I could probably watch. I've seen most of them, but it's been like it's been a long time since I've seen Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Have you ever seen Poltergeist? I have not seen Poltergeist, so yeah, maybe we do a double feature. I would say Poltergeist over Exorcist. Yeah, or we do a double feature like we did this one with Godfellas and and uh, Casino. We do Poltergeist and Exorcist. Yeah, I could definitely see both of those right there. I also have not seen Jaws. Yeah, yeah. Jaws. I feel that Jaws. I see why Jaws is as revered as it is as being the movie that blew up, you know, and created the blockbuster genre. As long as you never watch any of the sequels, especially Jaws four or Jaws three, don't ever watch those. Yeah, that's why I've heard the sequels are are not good. No, they're bad. But that's that's for another episode. It is. We'll get to those eventually, I'm sure. So uh, thank you for coming on this journey. Who knows? Let's see what you guys feel in terms of both Casino and Goodfellas and what you like better. Put a, probably put a poll up when this episode comes out just to see what people think. But uh, thank you for joining us in the Geek Real Life Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Spragle. And I'm still the other host, John Lundquist. Please make sure to go ahead and give us a review if you like the episode. Or if you don't like the episode, still give us a review and we'll see how bad you just, you know, tear us apart at this point. So yeah. we appreciate your listenership and we will hopefully catch you next time. Yes. Have a good one, everybody.